Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to chapter 2, verse 5. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This letter of Colossians is about wanting to get absolutely the most out of being a Christian. Or to put it the other way, it's about not wanting to miss out on anything in our experience of God. Because it's a dreadful thing, isn't it, when you feel like you're missing out. I remember when we were at school, after our exams, they took us for a day racing um, little, uh, um, what are they called? Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Over in Knock Hill in Dunfermline. It was brilliant. Apart from, they'd placed limiters on all the go-karts, which is a kind of metal rod that goes under the accelerator and stops you jamming it down as hard as you would want to. And it's very frustrating, because when you're driving along, you want to be at top speed. You want to be going as fast as you can, and yet you're putting it down, and it's up against the limiter, and you, you always feel like you're missing out. The engine has more to give, and it's not quite the full experience you were hoping for. And it's especially distressing when you hear that some of your friends have worked out the secret way of getting the limiter off their cars. And that that is um, so unfair, you can barely cope. This letter of Colossians is about wanting to get the most out of being a Christian. Um, We saw last week how Epaphras, a local man, had been converted on his travels through listening to Paul. He had gone home and he had told his friends about the gospel. He'd started this little local church. But we find that these believers, they didn't want just to start the Christian life. They wanted to press on towards fullness. They wanted as much of God as they could get. And that is commendable. We were thinking last week about this is an inspiring example for us. Because very often we don't feel this way. I've been a Christian for 12 years now and, you know, it's fine. I'm fine. It's fine. No. It is right that we want to press on to, to a fullness of experience. It is a healthy thing that we want to have as much of God and his power in our lives as we can possibly have. The Colossians were right to be hungry for more. 
But the thing is, they needed to be careful. Because in Colossae, there were some new teachers around who were offering the secrets of more. And these new teachers, we can imagine them, as it were, offering to take off the spiritual limiter and help the Colossians get up to full speed. And we can imagine them saying, look, you made a good start with Epaphras and the Gospel. That's a good start, but it's only the beginning. I can take you into the deeper mysteries. I can lead you into fullness. These offers of more were being made at Colossae, but actually, what we see in this letter is that they were false and they were harmful. And so Paul writes to warn this fledgling church. We saw that last week. If you look at chapter 2, verse 8, Paul's warning, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and um, deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. These new teachers were offering more, but Paul says their words are hollow and deceptive. And in, in the rest of chapter 2, as we'll see in the next few weeks, he gives some examples of what these false offers of more were. So there's a mystical version of more, with people having visions and experiences of heaven. There was an intellectual version of more, it seems, people unlocking the hidden mysteries and wisdom of God. There was a, a ritualistic or historical version of more, people finding a, a richness of experience in the traditions and holy days. And then it seems also there was a, a kind of a, a moral strictness version of more, with people imposing rules and regimes of self, self-control as that was the key to getting closer to God. It's a very warm letter as we read it. It's very warm towards the church here. He's saying it's, it's healthy, it's right that you want to get the most out of being a Christian. But there is this, also this note of warning because, Paul says, genuine fullness isn't found in any of those things. Rather, genuine fullness is found in Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus Christ, if you've put your trust in him, then you have everything. You have fullness. See how Paul goes on there in chapter 2. In verse 8, he's warning them, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and um, deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and on the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ. If you want fullness, then don't look elsewhere. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the one in whom you already have all of God and everything. That's what this letter is about. It's right that as Christians we want more. If we don't want more, if we're happy with the status quo, that's a bad thing. It's right to want more. But be careful who you listen to and be careful how you pursue that because actually Christians already have fullness in Christ. But surely that leaves us with a puzzle. Because if the Christian already has all of God in Jesus, if we already have fullness, then how does that leave any room for spiritual growth and progress? If we already have fullness in Christ, how can we have more? And that's not just a logical puzzle. Because many Christians, I'm guessing many of us here, 
We find it troubling, actually, to be told that we already have fullness in Christ. It's as if Paul says to us, you are as close to God as you could be if you've put your trust in Jesus. In Christ, you have everything. And that sounds like really good news. But then you start to think about the implications. You mean, this is it? This life I live with my fears and doubts and sins, this is as good as it gets? I, I want more. I want to feel more. That is what we need to understand. How can Paul encourage spiritual ambition as he does if we already have fullness in Christ? What is the maturity, the complete experience that we should be aiming for? And practically, how should we pursue that? That's what I hope we're going to see this evening. if you look back at the passage that Naomi read, verses 24 of chapter 1 through to chapter 2, verse 5, the basic gist of it, if you look at it, is Paul describing his own work and life. Remember, he's not met these Colossians in person, and so he's describing his own ministry. And the reason for doing this is that he is giving them a pattern of what is trustworthy and true. Because remember the situation, in Colossae there are these new teachers who are offering these different versions of more. Who do they trust? Who should the Colossians listen to? That is why Paul writes this section. It's like Levi's jeans. Apparently Levi's jeans are the most commonly faked product worldwide. And so you need to look at a real pair of Levi's jeans and see the little thingy in the back pocket and the button with the writing on it and then on the inside on the lining of the pocket there's often some writing there you need to look at the genuine Levi's and see the marks and then you will learn how to spot a fake I think that's the main point of this passage Paul is giving them a benchmark of genuine and reliable teaching so that as they seek to learn more and grow in their experience as Christians they know who to listen to and who to avoid. And in what he says, there are really a couple of aspects. First of all, he describes the genuine messengers of more. What do these trustworthy people look like, as opposed to the people who shouldn't trust? And then he talks about the genuine message of more. So if we want to grow, if we want to make progress as Christians, this is what we need to look out for. Paul is laying down the pattern. So first of all, first thing this evening, the genuine messengers of more. There are various marks that Paul talks about which distinguish him as an authentic teacher. This is how you spot the real McCoy. First of all, starting at the beginning, if you look at verse 24, we'll see that a trustworthy teacher will be marked by suffering for the message. Suffering. Paul wasn't preaching, teaching for his own benefit. If you think about his life, He could have kept his head down. He could have settled down and saved himself a lot of strain and bother. But instead, he kept on travelling around. He kept on preaching for the sake of others, passing on the message of Christ so that they could put their trust in him and find forgiveness and safety and the hope of heaven. He did it for the sake of others just like Jesus. If you want to find somebody who will reliably teach you about Jesus, then look for somebody whose life reflects his life, suffering for what is right, 
suffering for the sake of others. That's the sort of person you could trust. It may have been that these these new teachers in Colossae looked a bit more impressive. They looked a bit more sleek and sorted than Paul did. Maybe more acceptable, more popular. But actually, that can be a warning sign. The genuine messenger is marked by suffering. Secondly, reading on, the genuine messenger will be unoriginal. Unoriginal. That doesn't mean they'll be boring, but they'll be unoriginal in where they get their message from. Have a look at that, please, in verse 25. I have become its, he means the church, its servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. That um, just means God's people. The genuine message of more came from God through the apostles, the people like Paul, who were appointed by the risen Jesus to be his special spokesman, authoritative spokesman. It wasn't the apostles' message, they were just passing it on from God. And now that there are no more apostles in this original authoritative sense, the job of the reliable teacher is to stick second-hand or third-hand maybe, is a better way of putting it, with what those apostles said and what is written down in the Bible. Trustworthy teaching is always unoriginal in that sense. It's based on revelation rather than innovation, if I can put it like that. Think about Epaphras, who planted that church. He was just passing on what he had heard from Paul. And that is exactly right. The apostolic message. If we want to learn more of Christ, then we need to listen to the words of Christ's apostles making sure that the teaching is second-hand and unoriginal. The third mark, um, another sign of genuine ministry of more, is that it involves hard work. See what Paul says in verse 29. Paul laboured and struggled for the gospel. And again, that, that is a sign of integrity. Paul believed his message. He worked hard, therefore, trying to get it across. He wasn't making a name for himself, he wasn't making money, but he was working hard to teach people about Jesus and to help them to grow in him. And then the final mark, if you look at uh, chapter 2, verse 4, he was vigilant. The genuine ministry of Moore is vigilant. He says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Genuine teaching will say yes, what is true and also no to what is false. That's part of Paul's integrity that he was prepared to take on false teaching which would have greatly aggravated his sufferings and his stress but he had a duty to warn the church. It seems loving but it isn't when wouldn't dream of saying that anyone or anything was wrong. Real integrity will say no to error, as well as saying yes to the truth. Just like Jesus did. As you think about these marks, really that's the bottom line. Learn about Jesus from people who resemble Jesus, from people who are following him, who resemble him in his suffering, his integrity, his love, 
his bravery. So Paul is saying, it's really good that you want to grow, it's good that you want to grow, but be careful who you listen to, look out for these marks, and you will find the genuine messengers of more. Now how does this help us practically? Well, some of you, quite a few of you, are graduating this year, or you are moving on from Edinburgh in the summer, and you'll need to find a new church. Well, this is Paul's advice. If you want to flourish, if you want to grow, if you don't want to grow, that's fine, you don't need to listen to this, if you don't want to flourish, if you want to grow, find a church like this, where the leaders embody these marks of Christ-likeness, where the teaching is apostolic, passing on the message, not making it up, where the leaders are in it for others, not for their own good. Find a church that says no to error, as well as saying yes to truth. Find a church that's working hard for the gospel. And for the rest of us, again, it's very helpful. It helps us to answer questions like, what sort of books will I read? What sort of authors? What sort of teaching will I put on my iPod or in the car on the CD? What sort of Christian conferences will I go to? There are many different offers out there on the market still today. Many offers. But this is what the real stuff looks like. Of course, we don't need any of this if we're not keen to grow. You don't need to keep your eyes peeled if you're not looking out for how to grow. But the Colossians set us a better example than that. We can grow in our experience. We can know God more fully and deeply with the right kind of help. But of course, the most important mark of the true messenger is what his message is. And so let's move on to that. That is really the second thing in the passage. If this is what the genuine messengers of more look like, what is the genuine message of more? If it's not about mysticism or rituals or special wisdom, what is it? Well, the short answer, as we look at this passage, is that the genuine message of more is Christ or Christ in you. Please read with me from verse 24 at the beginning. Now, I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery, um, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Probably we can hear Paul there echoing the offers of the new teachers. He's going to tell them the word of God in all its fullness. He's going to reveal to them the mystery of God, which is Christ in you. That is the great mystery of God, Christ in you. We tend to use the word mystery to mean something that we can't understand. What it, I think, originally means, and certainly how how Paul uses it in the Bible, is it's the idea of an open secret, something that was hidden, but which has now been disclosed. And God's great mystery is Christ 
in you. That's what the Old Testament had been building up to and pointing to with its hints and promises and shadows. But finally, at last, God revealed himself in Jesus and revealed that we can be one with him by faith. We can be in Christ as we put our trust in him and we're united to him, linked with him, so that when he died, we died. And when he rose to new life, we also have new life in him. And he is in us. His spirit comes to live within us if we're Christians, indwelling us. That is God's message, that we can be united with Jesus, whoever we are, whether we're Jews or Gentiles. That is the message that God gave these apostles to proclaim, that we can be joined with Jesus, united with Christ. And so that is what they spoke about. Verse 28, have a look at that. We proclaim him. We proclaim him, Jesus, because there's nothing more to say. And then look down to chapter 2, verse 2, please, where Paul describes his aims in preaching. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you. The genuine message of more is Jesus Christ. If we put our trust in him, then we have all of God and all there is to have. And so what it means to grow as a Christian is not to have some other mystery or some other secret, some other message, some other way of getting close to God and knowing him. Growing as a Christian means knowing Jesus better. It means realising in our experience this union with Christ that we already have. Think about a couple who get married. They say their vows. They promise themselves to one another. They are united. And then off they go. They start life together. And as they live life together, they discover more about each other, more about their backgrounds, their childhoods, the sorts of things that make them laugh and cry, their hopes and fears. He discovers that macaroni cheese is her favourite tea. She discovers that he makes really bad macaroni cheese. Now, the day they got married, they knew each other, totally accepted, totally loved. In many ways, they were complete. They can't be more married. They can't be more accepted. And yet within that, there is room to grow. They grow to know each other better. It's not that they get more married as time goes by. It's just that in practice, they realise more of what they've already got. I think that is the genuine message of more. If you're a Christian, then you have Jesus, you're united with him, and so you have everything. You have his Holy Spirit living inside you, Christ in me. You died with him. You were raised with him to new life. You can't have more of God than you have in him. You can't be closer to God than he has already brought to you. In one sense, you're complete. But within that, there is room to grow. It's not that there's some other way of knowing God 
or some other way of getting closer to God. No, like with the marriage, it means realising in practice and in our experience the fullness of what we already have. Our already completed relationship becomes more and more real to us as we come to know Christ better. I hope that makes sense. Growing as a Christian and finding more is not about new things. It's about an ever-deepening relationship with the Jesus we already know. It means in your practical experience and life, knowing him better, living more closely with him, living out the union that you have. But the thing is, what does this mean in practice? Knowing Jesus better, in my mind, is frankly a bit of a cliché. It's the sort of vague thing that people say in sermons. Knowing Jesus better, what does that actually mean? We need to be clear in our minds. What does it mean in our experience uh, to have, sorry, what does it mean to experience more of Christ in you? Let me, as we look at the passage again, let me try to pull some examples out of what this meant practically for Paul. Have a look at verse 24 again. Paul saw himself in his work as sharing in the mission and the suffering of Jesus. It's really personal. He sees himself, he sees Jesus next to him in his life and he is serving Jesus. He is participating in the work of Christ. Christ suffered so that people could be saved. Paul suffered so that people could hear about that and be saved. That's what it means to experience more of Christ in you. It's when your life is caught up with Jesus, your ambitions and priorities line up with his mission and his priorities, you're serving him. Christ is your life. Next example, have a look at verse 29. As Paul worked, he worked hard, and he says that Christ's own energy was at work within him. He was aware of being sustained by Christ in me. Now that doesn't mean that Paul was like the Duracell bunny and had a kind of nuclear reactor of Jesus inside of him so that his work was always easy and he just always had limitless energy. That's not what it means. It's saying that as he worked hard, Paul relied on Jesus to achieve his ends. Paul relied on Christ to work through him like the hand inside a glove. Another example, verse 28. Paul explains here his aim for the Colossians. His aim was that they be presented perfect in Christ. He's talking there about the final day when we will be transformed to be like Jesus. That's where we're going. But we make progress towards that point even now. That's what happens in the life of a Christian. We, our hearts and minds are changed and so our actions change. We become more godly. And in describing this, Paul might have said that he wanted the Colossians to be, uh, he wanted to present them morally pure, or he wanted to present them perfect in character, but instead he personalises it. What they are moving towards is being perfect in Christ. In other words, they're becoming more like Jesus in their lives. Elsewhere, 
in his letters. Paul describes the same thing in some different ways that I think help us understand what he means here. So in Romans 13, he talks about the Christians, as they say, no to sin and yes to righteousness, being clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Or in Galatians 4, he talks about Christ being formed within the believer. That is, I think, what it meant for Paul, an ever-deepening experience of Christ in me. That's the message of more. As Jesus takes over in your life and you reflect more and more his character, his attitudes and his actions. That's the genuine message of more. That we can come to know Jesus more and more closely in our experience as ourselves and his self line up until we reach the point where Christ is our life. Do you remember that from last week in chapter 3? When Christ, who is your life, appears. Spiritual progress for the Christian comes down to realising in practice what is already ours in status. That we are united with Jesus. We have union with Christ by faith, but we drag our experience and our lives into line with that in daily reality. Think about two Christians in a family or at work. One is immature and one is mature. An immature Christian and a mature Christian. What is the maturity and what what does it mean to have a deep spiritual experience? And what it means is, it means having an acute sense, an acute consciousness of Christ in me. It means living, feeling that I am united with Jesus. That's true, but it means living that. So the mature Christian wakes up and is thinking about Jesus. As Paul says in, in chapter 3, set your, set your heart on things above. That's what the mature Christian does at the beginning of the day. Set your heart on things above where Christ is. He's thinking about Jesus at the beginning of the day and he prays that this day Jesus will be at work in him and through him. He prays, help me to be like you today, Lord Jesus. Please use me as your instrument. And so as he goes down to breakfast with his family or with his flatmates, he is trying to be constructive and loving with them. He's trying to be like Jesus with them. And then at work later on, he finds that he's getting impatient and irritable And so he prays again, Lord Jesus, please fill me with your humility. Fill me with your gentleness. Help me to follow you. And he trusts that Christ's energy will work in him. And then in the evening, he's helping at a youth club. He's got to lead a little Bible study there. And again, he prays that Christ would work in him like the hand in the glove. So he prays, Lord, it's been a long day. I'm I'm really tired. Please help me, Jesus. Help me to serve you. Give me the strength to serve you well. I think that's what Paul has in mind here. The person who speaks more and more like Jesus and acts more and more like Jesus and thinks and feels more and more like Jesus because they are very acutely conscious of Christ in me. Like you're joined with Jesus. You live that out. You're not an independent person anymore. You reflect Christ 
in me. That's the genuine message of more. That we are united with Jesus by faith. We're complete in him. But then we realise this more and more in the practice of our lives. So we learn more about Jesus. We are shaped more and more by Jesus. That's where Colossians leaves us tonight. Do you want to go deeper spiritually? Then go deeper into Jesus, into Christ in me, the mystery of God. And if anyone offers you something else, then that is a false trail. Christ in me. That is the genuine message of more, that we must live out more and more and more if we would truly know God. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for the wonderful offer of the gospel that we can be united with Jesus. We praise you that he is willing to have the likes of us and to join himself to us such that he pays for our sin and our righteousness becomes, his righteousness becomes ours. That we're joined with him in his death and in his resurrection. That he lives in us by the Spirit. Lord, we praise you for these wonderful facts of the gospel. Lord, please help us in our lives to believe these things and to live them out more and more day by day. Help us as we go into the week to come to have that attitude of Christ in me, to look to Christ, to follow Christ, to seek his energy to work inside of us. Lord, we long that we would reflect Jesus more and more and grow in that until the day that we meet him and are fully transformed to be like him in every way. Father, please work out in our lives union with Christ. For your name's sake. Amen.